Thank you again, Linda, for sharing that this morning with us. We praise the Lord for his work in you, your family, and for what has been, what is going on, and what is yet to be fully written. your courage in sharing these things. Testimony of the Lord's goodness and the Lord's work. The love of God. <laughs> the love of God is, is really what motivates all of this. It's what motivates the, the work that he's doing. His holiness does, his righteousness does, his justice does, all of these attributes do. But it's his love that gives us the confidence to step into it. Charles Spurgeon, who was a great pastor, evangelist, was walking through the English countryside with a friend of his. And as he and his companion were strolling along, they noticed a barn with a weather vane at the top of it. And at the top of the weather vane were these three words, God is love. Spurgeon remarked to his friend that he thought that this was a rather inappropriate place for such a message because he said, weather vanes are changeable. They move. But God's love isn't changeable. God's love is constant. And so Spurgeon thought that was a bad place to put that message, God is love. But his friend said, Charles, I don't agree with you about that. He said, I think, you've under, or I think you've misunderstood the meaning. That sign is indicating a truth, his friend said. And that truth is that regardless of where the wind blows, which way the wind blows, God remains love. His companion, his friend, was on to something there, wasn't he? Because I think many of us believe that God is love. And that he loves us no matter where the winds may blow. But many of those winds cause us to doubt that his love is true or they stand in the way of receiving his love in a transforming way. So I would ask you for a moment, to fill in the blank on this statement I'm about to put on the screen. And uh, think about the first thing that comes to your mind. Here's the statement. I believe God loves me, but blank. So for each of you, what, what's the first thing that comes to mind? I believe God loves me. If we would say that statement, I believe God loves me, but, but what? What is it for you? What is it about the winds of 
life that cause us to doubt the love of God. Maybe some of you might say, I believe God loves me, but sometimes I don't feel worthy of his love. Or, I don't really like myself, so why would God love me? That may be the blank for some of you. Something along those lines. It, it, it's a, it's the, the wind of self-worth that comes against you. I believe God loves me, but I don't always feel worthy of the love of God, or I don't like myself. Why would God love me? Maybe the but is, I believe God loves me, but he feels so distant. Maybe even impersonal. Maybe even like Linda's story, there have been people in your life who have wronged you and hurt you, and so whether you try to or not, sometimes you run the love of God through what other people have done. That if other people have hurt you, or if other people have failed you or let you down, I believe God loves me, but how do I know that God won't also? Some of you may think, I believe God loves me, but why did he let such and such happened to me. Why didn't he come through for me like I thought he would? And others of you may fill that in with, I believe God loves me, but what if I fail? What if I make him mad or disappointed? What if he, because of my failures, my inabilities, what if he stops loving me? Others may say, I believe God loves me, but I'm afraid to get too close because as I read the Bible, I see a God who's always angry and, punish, and full of punishment. I don't want to get that close to a God like that. Or maybe you just look at him and say, back to that self-worth, I don't think I can get that close because I know myself. I know myself. See, these are all potential winds that may blow that, that cause us to think, God is love, but. And I believe he loves me, but. And there may even be some of you here today or who are listening today who would say, I'm not even sure that God even loves me. I don't even know if I would say I believe God loves me. He may love other people, but I'm not sure he loves so no matter how the winds blow, the reality is nothing changes the fact that God is love and that he loves you. A high view of God and his love is what anchors us in the midst of all these winds blowing, in the midst of his goodness and his character. But in the midst of all of this, still the love of God is one of many attributes, and we don't want to elevate it higher than any other attribute because Scripture doesn't elevate it. He, it's just part of who he is. And so all of the attributes of God hold these things together. They, they work together. Tozer speaks of this, and he says this. He says the words, God is love, mean that love is, is an essential attribute of God. Love is something true of God, but it's not God. 
It expresses the way God is in his unitary being, as do the words holiness, justice, faithfulness, and truth. Because God is immutable or unchanging, he always acts like himself. And because he is a unity, he never suspends one of his attributes in order to exercise another. You and I, we can really only do about one or two things at a time. I mean, I can barely walk and chew gum, that whole thing. But God does all of these things all the time simultaneously. And so when his love is seen in this way, Tozer goes on, from God's other known attributes, we may learn much about his love. We can know, for instance, that because God is self-existent, his love had no beginning. And because he is eternal, no beginning, no end, his love can have no end. And because he is infinite, it has no limit. And because he is holy, it is the quintessence of all spotless purity. And because he is immense, his love is an incomprehensibly vast, bottomless, shoreless sea before which we kneel in joyful silence and from which the loftiest eloquence retreats confused and abashed. This is God's love. And so this morning we want to look at five truths that will help us to lift our view of God and to lift our view of what his love is and what his love does. Sermon notes are in your bulletin, blanks on the screen as we usually do. Here is where we start. First truth is this, that God's love casts out fear. If you have a Bible either hard copy of it, tablet, phone, whatever it may be. The book of 1 John. The book of Revelation, last book of the Bible. Just work a few small books back, backwards towards the front, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, then 1 John. 1 John 4, 18. 1 John 4, 18 says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. John says fear has to do with punishment. And so he says that God's perfect love casts out or drives away fear because as we're going to see in a moment, God has made a way for our punishment to be taken in the person of Jesus Christ. So because fear has to do with punishment, John is saying here in this situation, we do not have to fear failing God. We don't have to fear making him mad so that he stops loving us. We don't have to come to the place of believing that God is angry at us because Jesus has already dealt with for all of this. His love is not conditional. His love is not performance-based. His love casts out Fear because Jesus, Jesus has taken the punishment for us. So when we may say, God loves me, but I don't think I'm worthy, or what if I fail? We rest ourselves in the truth that his perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And Jesus, Jesus has taken the punishment for us. 
But fear isn't just about punishment all the time when we think about perfect love casting out fear. Fear also has to do with our safety, doesn't it? There are things or, or, or how others are going to look at us. There's all kinds of realms, but fear also has to do with safety and how I feel in relationship to what others are going to do to me. I think we can all be honest in saying that, that we recognize that the world is not a safe place. The world is a dangerous place that we live in, right? People can be dangerous. Cir- circumstances can be dangerous. There are all kinds of things around us in the world that can cause us to fear. Amen? It's just a reality. And so fear can have to do with safety. But when we are in Christ and his love has us, there is nothing in this world that we may fear that can actually harm us. Here is what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 35 to 39. He says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Does that sound like God has taken away all the dangers? (laughs) No, he's saying, here's the reality of the world. Here's the reality of the world, that there are things like trouble. There are things like hardship. There are things like persecution for those who follow Christ. There are famines in the world. We see that going on. There is the threat of losing all things so that we are destitute and we're in nakedness. There is danger no matter where we go. There are people that may try to harm us. This is a dangerous world sometimes, but fear sometimes will cause us to say, no, 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 I gotta pull in, I gotta try to save up, I've gotta try to build protection around. Listen, you can do all the protection, you can do all the saving, you can do all the storing, you can do all the self-defense that you can ever want, and you can build all these protections in your life, and you will never feel safe. The only way you can is what Paul says, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then he says this, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, until we settle the issue that we believe that God loves us and that his love has us, and until we receive and learn to receive his love, there's nothing that we will ever be able to do to feel safe in this world. And Paul knew this. He is shipwrecked, beat, you know, stone. I mean, he, he faced the gamut. Prison, he knew what it was to have a lot. He knew what it was to have hardly anything. He faced the gamut, and yet he's able to say from a prison cell, he is able to say, I'm convinced that none of these things, none of these things can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Because when the love of God has us, though things may happen, though harm may come, we are perfectly secure in him. That takes faith. 
That takes receiving the love of God. That takes being satisfied by him. And not just a headway, too. It has to go to our heart. Knowledge and heart and the soul level. To receive, to know, and to receive the love of God. Love, God's love, casts out fear. Second truth. God's love initiates. God's love initiates. Here's what this means. Isabel actually read this this morning for us. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Who goes first? Who initiates the love relationship between God and humanity? He does. God sent. God through his son. God. He, he, he did this. This is love. Not that we did it, not that we loved God first, but that he loved us and he sent his son and he and he and he. Do you see? He did it. He's the initiator. He went first. You know, I love being in the place of being married for many reasons. I will contend with every man in here that I have the the best wife in the world. I'll go toe-to-toe with you. Sorry you lose. No, and that's not saying anything. (laughs) And I think every every husband should be able to say the same thing. My, you know, right? I'm going to go toe-to-toe with you, though, and mine wins. Okay. But I, I love being married for many reasons. But you know, one of the things I absolutely love is the fact that I'm not dating in the dating world anymore. Because I was terrible at it. (laughs) Terrible at it. It took me, even though I knew that Steph was interested, it took me like several weeks to even get the courage to be like, hey, uh, uh, you you wanna go? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, how many many guys were in that place? Uh, All right, we got a couple, all right, that's good. I am so grateful that I don't have to initiate a new relationship anymore. Because I was terrible at it. Absolutely terrible. But God, God is the one who initiated. And he didn't initiate with someone that he heard through mutual friends actually was interested. He initiated with what Paul says in Romans 5, 8, for, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, enemies of God, Christ died for us. His initiation of love was not, hey, you're for me, so I'll be for you. No. Those who were opposed, we were opposed to God in sin. And he initiated it. And he initiated it to the point that Paul and John both say he sent Jesus to be an atoning sacrifice, the one who through the blood of Christ, whose blood shed on the cross, washes our sin away, covers it over, 
makes us pure and holy. He is the initiator. God sent his son as an atoning sacrifice, taking away the wrath of God, saving us. God is the initiator. God is the initiator. And because God is the initiator, Tozer makes the point that God absolutely needs nothing in this. <laughs> he doesn't need our love. He's not sitting in heaven going, I hope they respond because I'm going to feel really, really low about myself if they don't respond to my invitation. No. He's initiated, but he, he has chosen to bind his heart to ours even when we reject, even when we walk away, even he did it with Israel, even when he says, I was a faithful husband and you were an unfaithful wife to me, even when they walk away, even when we walk away, even when we are unfaithful, God still says, I'm the initiator and I am the one who this love relationship depends on. There's no other human relationship that works like that, is there? Even the best relationships, even the most selfless love, there's still something in it that when somebody doesn't respond, it's like, ooh, I'm not so sure I want to stick around this, or that's not fair. And God says, no, I'm the initiator, and I'm going to stay faithful. I'm going to stay faithful to you, even when you're not. That just takes this whole thing of, boy, what if I can't live up to it? What if I let him down? What if, what if, what if? It just takes it all away because it's not dependent on me. It's not dependent on you. It's totally dependent on him. He's the initiator of it and he's the sustainer of it. That's his love. That's his love. God's love initiates. Third truth. God's love is also sacrificial. If you turn to the Gospel of John, to John chapter 15, He says this. This is Jesus speaking, John chapter 15, verses 12, and thir- 12 to 13. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. We'll get to this next week. And then he says this. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. He commands us to love others as he did, and then describes his love that Greater love has no one than to lay down their life for their friends. But even farther, as we said, it goes beyond just laying down his life for friends. Laying down his life for those opposed first. The point is this. God's love is a sacrificial love. It's a love that gives to the point of death. It's the way God's love is. It's a love that gives to the point of death. So often, the way love is talked about these days is it's an easy, kind of mushy, kind of a feel-good thing, and the moment it demands something, 
The moment it demands sacrifice, the moment it demands pain, the moment it demands compromise, the moment it demands something that I don't get something out of, bam, I'm out of here. I'm out. That, that's human love. And if I don't get something or it just gets hard, I'm done. But God's love, God's love isn't that way. God's love is so sacrificial that there is no sacrifice, no cost, no difficulty, no pain that he was not willing to pay. All you have to look to is Jesus. The love of God poured out through him to redeem a broken and lost world is just mind-boggling. His love made the ultimate sacrifice. Immense cost, immense difficulty, immense pain. It's God's love. God's love is a sacrificial love. The fourth truth is God's love then, Jesus goes on, God's love makes us friends. <laughs> Verses 14 through 17 of John 15, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name, and this is my command, love each other. The sacrifice didn't just move us from lost to found, though it did, from enemies to servants. It moved us to a place where as we respond to his love and as we respond in obedience to him, where he says, you're not servants anymore, you're, you're friends you're my friend. Tozer makes the point, and I believe rightfully, that when we really understand and have a high view of God, that it makes us uncomfortable. It makes us come to this place where we're like, I don't know if I can actually do this. Call God my friend. It's almost like too audacious, too presumptuous, too hard to believe that when we really get a vision of who God is, high and exalted and lifted up, the infinite, eternal, unchanging, holy, just, righteous God who is rich in mercy and abounding in love, that when we really get a vision for him, it almost seems like, I can't call him friend. How can I call him friend? But yet, his love doesn't just make us like, oh, servant, go do this. You should be happy you're my servants now. No, he says, you are my children, you're my friends. And I love and I love, I just love for you to come to me and I love to tell you what I'm doing. I've given you my word. My word is like the deepest revelation of what I'm doing, of who I am, and I love to share it with you. And come, come, because the Spirit, he searches out all the deep things of God and, and because you're friends, I love to tell you these things. And you want to know what I'm up to in the world and what I'm doing next and what I'm doing in your family, what I'm doing in your life and what I'm doing in your church? I would love to tell you. Why? Because you're not just servants, you're friends. We recently put on a 50th wedding anniversary party for my parents. I 
talked about it that weekend if you were here. When you're putting on a big surprise party, you don't walk around and just tell anybody, hey, guess what? We're putting on a 50th surprise birthday or wedding anniversary party for my, my parents. You don't just go tell that to anybody. Who do you tell it to? You tell it to your friends. Because you know that your friends are going to understand, whoa, there's a lot of effort going into this. And it's really important that this is a, this is a surprise. So there, you tell it to friends because friends are going to be like, oh, that's so cool. You know, zip it, lock it, throw the key away like you do with kids. They understand it. Why? Because they're friends. And you know, I can trust them with this because they're my friend. They're my friend. God, his love in the sacrifice, he doesn't call us servants. He calls us friends. It's amazing love, isn't it? It's amazing love. Thank you. It's good. And the fifth truth is this. God's love evokes delight in his children. Zephaniah 3.17, some of the minor prophets in the Old Testament, they're, they're, they're hard to find. So if you find the book of Matthew, then you go towards the front. Last book of the Old Testament is Malachi, then Ze- Zechariah, then Haggai, and it's like two chapters, then Zephaniah. So Zephaniah 3.17. As you're turning there, I want to make the point that this point, we could easily read this, and we could say God's love evokes delight in his children, as if I find delight, and you find delight. It, it evokes a, a, a delight in us. That's what his love does, and it, it absolutely does. But the wording of this, I struggled over it, I try to be faithful to what God says in Zephaniah. So here's the point. God's love evokes in him a delight in and over and for his children. Okay, so so hear that. Certainly, when we receive his love, there's a delight that comes. We delight ourselves in the Lord. Psalmist says, delight yourselves in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. There's a delight. But this is all about God and his love. It brings and evokes a delight in him over us. Here's what Zephaniah says. As he's speaking about the future of Jerusalem, how there's going to be punishment, but there's going to be a time when all of this is going to be redeemed and restored. He says this, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty. He's mighty to save. We heard testimony of that. Sometimes that salvation is slow in coming. Sometimes it's a, in process. But he is mighty to save, isn't he? He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Do you hear the delight that the Father has over his children? The delight that Jesus has over us as his brothers and his sisters. The delight of the Spirit hovering over the throne of God and living in our midst and living in us and coming upon us. The delight of God, the love of God, the joy of God over his children. 
You know, sometimes you may have been here if you've been married, or you may know somebody who's been there. Husband and wife may be going through a difficult, rocky time. And they may say to one another, I love you. But right now, I really don't like you. I love you. (laughs) That's not going to change. I'm committed to you. I love you. But right now, I'm not liking you too much. You know, this is sometimes, I believe, how we think of God and his love. Sometimes we think God loves us, and he loves us because he's committed to us, and he's obligated, and, and he's faithful, and he doesn't break his promises. He's unchanging, so he's already made this covenant relationship promise, and so he loves me, and he always will but you know what, I'm really messing up right now, or I really think I'm not that likable, and so God loves me, but I'm sure he's up there thinking, I'm just kind of dealing with him. I don't really like him right now. He's being a pain. He's being difficult. The heart of God is that he not only loves us, he likes us. After Rob Reamer says that, so I don't want to steal that. That's his. But I believe it's God's ultimately. God doesn't just love us. He likes us. He delights in us. He quiets us with his love. He rejoices over us with singing. God's love evokes a delight in him in and for his children. So all of this, these truths in the midst of the winds that blow, in the winds that may counter what we think, in the winds that may come, and even though we may say, I believe God loves me, but these truths counter those buts. But there has to be a place where we go from just what we know to be true to receiving it at the soul level. It's been said that the longest 18 inches in the world is the distance between your brain brain and your heart. You may know something. You may know something and you may, yes, yes, I know it's true, I know it's true, I know it's true, but I just can't get it here. And we gotta get it here if it's really going to fully affect how we live. Probably the deepest relationship that I had growing up outside of my mom and my dad was my grandfather. We called him Papa. And they lived, my Papa and my Nana, they lived just three minutes from where we went to church. So many Sunday nights or Sunday afternoons gather for lunches or after church we'd go over and we would visit Papa and Nana. And he had a red sofa lounger chair, like a lazy boy kind of thing. And as soon as I got there, I would run and I would jump up on my papa's lap, and he was always just sitting there at that point of the day. He would sit in that red 
lazy boy lounger chair kind of thing. And I would jump up there and I would sit there. And I would just be there. We'd talk. But more than anything, it was just being in his presence, just sitting there on his lap. He, he had a really massive heart attack, almost died, lived a few more months after that. But he died when I was like 14. And even right before that heart attack at 14, <laughs> I would run in and he was like 78, 79 years old and I would jump on his lap as a 14 year old. I, I didn't, I, it didn't make any difference to me because that was the place. That was the place where I would run and I could just be and sit. When God began to really take the love of God from my head to my heart and in a journey, and receiving the love of God in this way is not a like quick, quick thing. It's a journeying into his presence, learning to be with him, learning to slowly receive. When I was learning how to receive the love of God. This was in like my late 20s, early 30s. I can't even remember exactly. When that first time where the, the Father poured out through his spirit the love of God in a way that I never experienced his love before, he gave me a picture. And that picture was that red chair. And he said, I'm the one that you've always longed for. You saw it in, my, in your grandfather. You saw it in him. But I'm even better. And you come sit with me. Because when you come and sit with me, it's not your performance. It's not your merit. It's because I've called you to myself. It's because you belong to me. It's because I've sent my son and I've sacrificed him, and he is sacrificed, so that you can come sit with me. You can come be with me, and I can pour out my love, and I can delight in you, and I can quiet you with my love, and I can rejoice over you with singing. I, I don't believe that's just like for a few people here and there. I believe that's what the Father has intended for us. You know, heaven's going to be a wonderful, glorious thing and streets of gold and reunion with those who have gone before us. But the best thing about heaven is he's going to be there and there's going to be nothing. What we have seen and what we see through a mirror dimly, we will see fully face to face. So would you receive the love of the Father? The love of Jesus the love of the Spirit. A high view causes us to say, oh, Lord, I need it. I need you. I need you. Your love. Your love. So the worship team will come and lead us in a moment, but I would just encourage, I just want to pray blessing over you before we sing this last song. But I would encourage you, if the Lord is stirring something in your heart, Know that that's him. That's him saying, come, come, come be with me.